All right, everybody, I am here today with my good friend, Mark Beauchamp. How are you doing today, Mark? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. So, uh, Mark, I'm not sure how to introduce you anymore. You're, you know, the uh, CEO of this and running that and author of this. But I guess today, primarily, it's author of Survive and Thrive in the Merchant Services Industry, right? That's correct. Yeah, that's what I wanted to uh, to kind of talk to everybody about today. Awesome. So, so Mark came out in 2003 with kind of the... Uh, I don't know the 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 Bible on merchant sales. I guess is the right way to put it. Uh, from in 2003, made some updates. I believe around 2009. So now here we are in 2020, and Mark is coming out with this new book. So Mark, I thought if you could start us off, help us understand the timing, and are there some trends that you were seeing? What is it that prompted you to take on this big project to basically redo this book and and make it more relevant to to sales professionals in the industry today? Sure, I'd love to. Uh, you know, over the years, I've been selling the the old version of the book to a lot of ISOs and groups, and I just kept getting a lot of requests uh, to update the content, and, and boy, did it really need an overhaul. So uh, I took that on about a year ago as a project to uh, get out in 2020, and it was really just the technology, you know, the technology and technological changes that have happened in the industry. Sure, sure. You know, when I wrote the first version, there was no EMB. You know, mobile processing was barely coming about. Uh, payment gateways were, you know, just coming out. So data security has changed a lot. So I just saw the, the technology changing, the product offerings changing, and a lot of the payment trends uh, were changing, so that's kind of what prompted the the rewrite. Sure. Yeah, I would have, I would imagine. I mean, especially uh, in 17 years uh, as, in a technology based business like this, you've seen a sea change. I'm just curious, what would you say would be like the biggest change you've seen, um, you know, in the last two decades? Yeah, I think the the the, the just the sheer volume of product offerings and sweeping changes throughout the industry. But, you know, there were a lot of things I left out of that first version that I've added in this version, things like high risk processing, mm. uh, paybacks or pay- payment facilitation. Sure. Right. Uh, certainly one of, one of James, James's uh, favorite topics, cash discounting and surcharging. And uh, right. actually James is uh, and James has written a chapter on cash discounting right. for this book, so y'all definitely want to read that. Uh, and I talk about alternative lending, point-of-sale financing, which is a space that I've been in for the last sure. uh, five to seven years. And uh-huh. uh, also, Pat, Patty, you've written a chapter for me on ACH and check processing. So there's oh, a lot course. of you know new product updates and, and things that are going on in the business that I think will really add a lot of value to the guys out in the field. So, Mark, could you, um, and you kind of alluded to it just now, but for those that maybe didn't, uh, have never read the book, didn't get the, the older version of it, can you kind of explain about the structure of the book? Because it is a little different. You actually, you know, as you mentioned, you do have multiple authors. Can you give us a little info on you know, how many authors, how many chapters? Like, Give us a little bit of context of kind of the structure of the, of the book. Sure. And actually, this book, uh, my goal was to make it shorter, but it it ended up being about 418 pages. So what I do in the uh, first uh, first section of the book, I talk about the basics of the industry. And another cool thing that I've done uh, to avoid getting out of date, I've taken some of those uh, chapters like the history of the industry, uh, common terms, acronyms, 
and glossary, and I'm putting all those online. So when you purchase the mm. book, mm-hmm. which uh, you're going to find out in a minute what the price of, of the book is, I think everybody's going to like that. <laughs> yes. But I have an online portal that you're going to get access to this portal, which will have a lot of free downloads. All my workshop training guides that I used to use in the back of the book are going to be up there all the industry history so I can continue to update that. And then we'll certainly have all the biographies of the guest writers and the people that I interviewed. So the the first section is really educational content. And then after we get through the educational content, I get into what I call advanced topics. And that's where I talk about the high risk. Uh, And these are all pretty much guest chapters. So I've got experts, uh, from some of the largest ISOs writing these chapters. So we've got high-risk payment facilitation, surcharging, cash discounting, point-of-sale financing, alternative lending, how to maximize your portfolio. And then the third part of the of the book is sales training, mm. uh, which is a lot of the basics that I had. I've updated some of the prospecting and some of those tips uh, on sales training. And really, the, the fourth section was the, a complete rewrite for me, and I call this professional development. And that's where I write a chapter on what I call the 10 distinctions. And that's a lot of what I train on these days uh, for guys that I work with within my community. And the 10 distinctions are really things that I've noticed over the years that the most successful people uh, in our industry have done to really grow their residual portfolio, grow their business, but not just be successful in business, but be successful in life. And that's where I talk about the four dimensions across body being balance and business. And I do a lot of, a lot of training on that, on how to have a balanced life, how to, how to manage and strategically plan your business growth and uh, really spend a lot of time on that chapter. And that's about 20 plus pages uh, and you'll get some of that free content on the website that you uh, will have access to. And then I get into the interviews, and I've got uh, about 10 or 12 interviews. Uh, people from, you know, Paul Green, I kept the original interview in there, but Bob Carr, Get Beyond, O.B. Rawls, Chris Lee, president of the ETA, Todd, Todd Ablowitz, uh, runs in Finisep, Amy Zirkel from the ETA, Kate Gillespie from the Green Sheet, a lot of people I'm sure know her. Uh, Mark Dunn and several other people that I interview in the book as well. So that kind of kind of rounds it out. That's awesome. Now, I want to go back for a second to the personal development because I know that's a topic about which you're really passionate, Mark. Um, you know, in this industry, there are some really unique challenges because of the nature where, you know, a lot of the people are independent. Um, and so it's like, okay, they can work, you know, any 90 hours they want, <laughs> you know, um, or you have people that on the flip side, you just can't seem to get themselves out of bed and get themselves motivated. I'm kind of curious if you could touch on these two extremes. You've seen the people who maybe come to the industry from a W-2 position to 1099 and they're not successful. They can't seem to get it going. They can't get, you know, take action. They don't have that structure. Then you've seen the other extreme of those that are kind of the overachievers where they make a lot of money in the industry, but in the process, they, you know, uh, you know, things don't, things kind of fall apart in the rest of their life. Can you talk about those two extremes a little bit? And, and what are, what are your thoughts on maybe somebody listening right now who, again, they're, you know, they, they came from a W2, now they're 1099. What can they do? And then what about the overachiever that's starting to realize, okay, I'm making a lot of money, but you know, that's not making me happy. Can you give us some, some thoughts on personal development with those two extremes? 
Yeah, I mean, it's a different animal when you move from a W-2 position to a, you know, a 1099 where, where it's all up to you, right? You're, right. you're an entrepreneur now, you're a business owner, and uh, you're managing and keeping yourself accountable, which is a right. challenge for a lot of guys. Uh, and you, you know as well as I do, James, you see in this business a lot of hills and valleys. So a guy will right. go out one week and close four or five deals, and he's running around, you know, he's made some money, he doesn't quite work consistently the next week, and then he's got to do it all over again, and he's catching up. So, right. you know, what What my comment would be is what we want to try to do is create power in your life, and we want to marry that power up with production in your life. And the production uh, is across not just the business, but those personal aspects. And what I've seen is when people can combine these, these, I call them the, the six domains and, and their purpose, possibility, planning, power, production, and profit. And when people can really align these six domains together, so when you go out and you're working every day, you, you have clarity of purpose on what you're trying to create in your life. You, you know, I didn't, I didn't come into this business and my life purpose isn't to sell cash discounting to small business owners, right? That's something I do to help me fulfill my purpose, right? Right. A means uh, to an end. When you can, right. Yeah, it's a, it's a means to an end. And if you can marry the job with your purpose and you see that, you know, that value of you're, you're going out there, not just selling a credit card machine, but I'm, I'm creating an opportunity for the economy to run. I'm creating an opportunity for business owners to realize their dreams. I'm, you know, you take it to a higher level and then you've got a possibility or a vision for your life. And now, you know, now you're out there, not just doing a job, you're out there fulfilling your purpose. So that's, that's the first step for anyone, whether they're a 1099 W2 or whatever industry they're in is finding some vision, a mission, clarity of purpose, and looking at what the possibility is for their life. And then the next thing is you've got the vision. Now we need to start planning that vision uh, and really coming up with a strategic plan. And, and that's where I walk people through a 90-day, I call it the 90-day rhythm or 90-day challenge. And, and it's around a system I call the framework. But we want to plan out your 2020 goals, right? What do you want to accomplish for the year? But then we're going to chunk that down and break that up into four different 90-day segments throughout the year. And we're going to strategically and tactically plan what we want to create each 90 days in order to fulfill that big goal at the end of 2020. And when you have that kind of clarity of vision, that kind of strategy and plan, then you, you're accessing power. And when we're you know, focusing on our body, we're, we're staying right with our body, exercising nutrition-wise, we've got some kind of spiritual life that we've developed for ourselves, and then our relationships, the balance side of life, you know, the teams, uh, our significant others, our children, when those three things are combined, guess what? People tend to explode in their business, right? So you gain right. power, and I do that through daily rituals or daily routines that I share on how you can access that power. So before you leave the leave for the office every day, you've done the work that you need to do to set your intention for the day. You know where you're headed. You know what you want to accomplish that week, and you know where you're headed for that 90 days. And that's, that flows into what I call production. That's the actual 
you know, getting out there and doing the work. And, and you made a comment where, you know, guys just can't get themselves to, to get off and get off the couch and work. And we see that all the time. And I've seen it, you know, any industry I'm in, not just merchant services, when I sold insurance or computer software, you know, when people have to motivate themselves, there, there, in my view, there has to be a deeper meaning to it. So, Right. What I'm trying to do is right. give them the, the daily the daily power, the deeper meaning, and then they're more apt to go out and be able to produce uh, at that level. And then the final stage is the profit. And that's where we talk about, you know, not just making the business profitable, but coming up with those key performance indicators that you need to look at weekly, monthly, quarterly to see where is my business? You know, what are my closing ratios? What are my lead, lead to appointment look like? Uh you know, what are my uh, basis points I'm earning on my portfolios? You know, all those type of uh, measurement indicators that you might want to look at to make sure your business is running, running healthy. Hmm. So, yeah, it's really interesting. I, it's, it, you know, a couple of things you said really stuck out to me. You know, this idea of purpose, um, I hadn't really thought of it exactly the way you just said. And it sounds like what you're saying is when you come from a W-2 position, you you actually lose something, which of course is that structure and kind of that like I have to go to work. And I'm always talking to people about how you have to recreate that. And and the right. way, I think what I just heard you say, Mark, was the way you recreate that isn't so much trying to you know somehow you know make yourself that structure as much as it is now you need a why. It's like you need a purpose to to get you out of bed and to get you out in the field and all that. Is that kind of what you're saying? Absolutely. I mean, what did Nietzsche say? If the why is strong enough, you can bear any how. Yeah. So if you know what your why is, and when you leave that W-2 job, I mean, the heat is on, right? Because there's no more check. Right. Uh, You know, it's it's just a whole different frame and a different mindset. So, uh, yeah, I think you need to know what that why is. And when you know what your overarching why is, the long-term plan or the long-term game or you know, and this changes based on what, what stage we are in our life. You know, I'm, I'm at a stage in my life where I'm more thinking about legacy and long-term things. I'm not out there 25, 30 years old, hitting the streets and trying to grow, grow like I, like I was back in those days. I still want to grow, grow my business, but I've got, you know, some deeper meaning and things that I'm trying to uh, accomplish and, and leave when I, when I leave the business and when I leave my family. So I think that why is really critical. I think you hit the hit the nail on the head, and then you'll figure it out. Uh, if the why is that strong of a motivator for you, you can't help but to figure out how you're going to become successful. And that just takes, you know, a lot of practice, a lot of making mistakes, learning from experience, and then coming up with a model that works for you and a model that works for your personality type, a model that works in conjunction with the strengths that you possess that you brought with you out of that W-2 position. And, you know, that's the, that's the, that's the hard part is figuring out, you know, do I double down on my strengths or do I, do I try to improve my weaknesses? And that's really, you know, strategy. I've always been a big one. You know, I was never much of a cold caller. So I'd rather double down on my strengths, strengths of getting in front of a merchant and closing them on the business and hire somebody or outsource somebody to set appointments for me and do the, do the uh, appointment setting side of the business. Yep. So that's just part of the nuts and bolts of figuring out your model. But you know, it, it's interesting also, Mark, that you mentioned the, the the concept of 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 sort of looking inward. You know, in terms of your your personal health and your spiritual life. 
I mean, those contribute a lot to being able to sort of, uh, you know, see through the morass of, of, of angst and anxiety, right? I mean, if you're just like Absolutely. getting up every morning and saying, I got to work, I got to work, I got to earn money, I got to earn money without some, you know, without taking care of yourself, you're really, Absolutely. you know, you're going to burn out. Yeah, I agree 100%. And I, and I I walk through a lot of this in the book, and I talk a lot about the need to release the past, right? And, right. And, and what I see with a lot of salespeople or people in general, we have these belief systems that we've created over our lifetime. Uh, we have these stories that we're living our lives by. And right. And have the story of, uh, you, you might own a story that says, I can't do this, or I don't have the skills, or I don't have the... Uh, talent to do this, or you might have a story that says, oh, I can do this, I can overcome anything. So, you know, I really dig into the belief systems that people have and how you need to release in your life what's not serving you right. and hold on to the things that are serving you. And that's part of that introspection that we go through is just as human beings, of, you know, what makes me tick? And and, and looking at those stories and coming to the reality that most of them are not true, that we tell about ourselves, right? Right. Uh, most of them, especially the limiting ones, just aren't true. And we just need to let that go and move forward into that possibility that I talk about. So sure. when you let go of the past, you're able to start with a clean slate and you can step into the future, what you want to create in the future. And that's the word I use is possibility. Uh, and really, when you're creating from a clean slate, it really is the future. Most people are creating off of the past and living into the future, right? I, oh, I couldn't sell this deal. I couldn't close that deal. I didn't. I went bankrupt in this business. I wasn't able to do that. So they're they're really not living into the future. They're living off their old stories from the past. So I talk right. a lot about that and need need to kind of let that stuff go. Uh, and it's a daily reflect reflection that I discuss as well. So. Uh, I come up, I call it my daily ritual that I do every morning before I come to work. And part of that ritual is a daily reflection on, you know, what did I learn yesterday? Am I on track today? What, where did I show up, you know, becoming the person that I need to become? Because, you know, when you sit down on January 1st of 2020, if you sat down this year and you set your targets or goals for December of 2020 of where you wanted to be or who you wanted to become, you know, that person uh, that you were on January 1st is not going to be the same person you are hopefully at the end of 2020. That person's going to have to gain some new skills. That person's going to have to adjust some belief systems. They're going to have to take some larger actions to take their business to the next level. And that process, this yearly process that you run through uh, continues on and on. So what I like to see is the you know, I think of myself as recreating myself each and every year. And when 2021 comes around, the same, the man that I was in 2020 won't be there any longer, right? I'm right. going to create a new man at the end of that following year, you know, hopefully a, a better man, a stronger man with more skills, more experience and more success in my life. 
Awesome. Well, so, so Mark, uh, I mean, this is going to be so interesting. I'm really looking forward now to reading that, that part of the book, uh, the, the development side of it for sure. Uh, you mentioned, of course, that uh, I have a, a chapter on cash discounting, which is no surprise to anybody. Um, Patty has a chapter on ACH and check, which is no surprise to any of our listeners. Can you give us a couple of other highlights? What are a couple, maybe two or three chapters that stuck out to you in the book that were some guest authors and what they talked about? And then, of course, I want to get to the price of the book, which I think will shock everybody in a good way and how they can order it. But give us a little highlight from a couple other chapters, if you would. Yeah, I think uh, I had Alan Lacoste and New Day write a chapter on high-risk processing, so I feel like that's going to really be sure. of a lot of value to a lot of people. Uh, Todd, Todd Adlowitz from Infinicep talked about payfacts, and, you know, Todd is the leader in the payfact industry. Yeah. He's doing a lot of work sure. with MasterCard. Right. He's just the expert on the topic. Sure. Uh, I felt like the... Uh, interview from Chris Lee was pretty good, current ETA president, CEO of Building Tree. So I think you'll get a lot of value uh, out of that interview. And then we had James, of course, on cash discounting. Then I had uh, the guys from uh, Sur- uh, Cardex write a chapter on surcharging. So I've got oh, a few points yep. from surcharging and cash discounting. And then probably the other big one, I'd say Jim Fink uh, from Rapid wrote a chapter on alternative lending. So I think that'll be a really good one for guys who are looking at adding MCAs or alternative lending products to their portfolio. Awesome. So, Mark, tell us, you know, all this value. uh, Give us the the punchline. So what does it cost and how do people order it? So here's the punchline. I've decided to make the book free. For everyone in the industry so all you have to do is pay for shipping and handling and you can pick up the book at my website uh, a lot of you get my newsletters probably listening but it's survive and thrive all spelled out dot biz b-i-z so survive and thrive dot biz and you'll uh, pick it up you'll also get access to that online portal that i talked about and then you'll have an opportunity to work with me in a community that I've started called Bank Card Life. Uh, but the book is free. Just pay the shipping and handling. If you need it quicker, we typically get them out in 7 to 10 business days. Uh, it is on Amazon, but you would pay the full $19.95 if you order it on Amazon. And for anyone that needs multiple copies, just email us from our website. We can talk to you about you know, getting out multiple copies uh, for your uh, ISO. That's a great deal, Mark. Yeah, well, you can't do any better than that. So that's uh, no, that's awesome. not really. So yeah, so definitely all of our listeners, you know, definitely make sure that you go over to surviveandthrive.biz and order that. Um, last thing, Mark, I'd love for you to touch on. You just mentioned a second ago, Bank Card Life. Um, I've been following it a little bit. I'm in the community as well. Um, exciting things going on there. You know, I always tell people in the industry, I'm like, you know, there's there's very few. You know, there's only one Mark Beauchamp. You know, there there's not very many people in the industry that are putting out good content for you know specifically for this industry and how to be successful. And so I think agents in the industry really need to take every opportunity to do that. So can you give us kind of the elevator pitch for the Bank Card Life community and what it's all about? Sure. Uh, Bank Card Life is, you know, you use the word community, and I really felt like there wasn't a place that, you know, there's some Facebook groups and things out there, but I, I felt like there wasn't a community where people could interface in a private platform uh, communicate, yeah. ask questions. Uh, I do interviews every month. I have been really bogged down with producing this book the last month. So uh, now that this is off my plate, I'll be turning to more content 
in Bank Card Life. But, you know, James, I have some of your trainings up there. So yep. you get a full back office membership site that has trainings, the recorded interviews, uh, worksheets. I've got a program called Empire Builder where I teach you how to recruit an independent agent channel and build out an ind- independent agent channel. And then there's the community piece where I do uh, weekly live, you know, short videos for the week and post content. And then we've got a place where you can ask questions uh, to anybody within that community. And you've got chat capabilities and some other things. But uh, it's $29.95 a month, so it's very, very affordable. Uh, no contract. You can try it out for two or three months. If it's not working for you, you can certainly uh, cancel at any time. But I'm, I'm really excited about the content I'll be bringing in there this year. Now that this book is done, as I mentioned, uh, I'll be able to focus on a lot of great content, a lot of great interviews. So a lot of the people that wrote guest chapters in the book, uh, I'll be interviewing, and then I'll have some product reviews uh, that I'll be posting in the community as well. And and what's the website for that one again? It's bankcardlife.com. Awesome. Bankcardlife.com. So there you go, everybody. got surviveandthrive.biz for the free book. Um, and then bankcardlife.com uh, for the group. So, Mark, as always, such a pleasure having you on the podcast. Just uh, really appreciate your time and your leadership in the industry. Yeah, thanks for all your hard Thank work, you. Mark. Thanks, James and Patty. I really appreciate the time, and I look forward to seeing everybody in that community if you hop in. Have a great day. Awesome. Thanks, Mark. Hey, you too. This is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by The Green Sheet. For the past 36 years, The Green Sheet has been the go-to source for news, analysis, and educational tools that empower and connect payments professionals. If you're not reading The Green Sheet already, check it out on the web today at greensheet.com. Okay, so the Federal Reserve has published its latest payments data, pointing to strong credit and debit card uh, payment growth, and also e-commerce, particularly in the e-commerce. Sure. In fact, the growth in card payments is outpacing growth in all of other forms of non-cash payments, hmm. which is very interesting, yeah. I thought. You know, just as a little background, the Fed publishes comprehensive data on non-cash payments every three years. Non-cash payments are credit card, debit card, both prepaid and traditional debit cards. Sure. Checks and ACH payments. Okay. Okay. They don't put wire transfers in there. Cause okay. A, got it. That's right. a whole. That's a different this, thing. Right. Got it. Exactly. Um, so the latest data covers 2018 and was published just before Christmas of 2019. Okay. Um, in all, Americans made 174.2 billion non-cash payments in 2018. Which is an increase of thirty point six billion, or just under five percent, over twenty fifteen. Wow! Really? Yeah, that's huge. Hold Isn't on. That- so you're saying that it was roughly a hundred and forty four billion? Yeah. In twenty fifteen, and it was a hundred and seventy four billion in twenty eighteen. That's three years later. Three years later. It's insane. So okay. that's like five wow. percent a year, roughly. Yeah, a compounded. Compounded. Yes. Yeah. Wow, yeah. that's awesome. Okay, that's awesome. I mean, yeah. well above well above the rate of inflation. I would certainly say so. Yes. And um, far outstripping GDP. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. So. Uh, huh. Yes, and the combined value of those 174 billion was 97 trillion dollars. Wow. Okay. And that was an increase of 
about 8%, uh, 10.25 trillion. Wow. So we had 87 trillion last year, nine, nine, 2015. I mean, the numbers, when you that's, think about crazy. it, are just compound. I mean, I just. Anybody that feels like there's no like opportunities left in the payments industry, I mean, it, good night. There's such a right? huge. Such a huge. Grief. If yeah. you can't find your little piece of, the, of that pie, of I mean, you're just pie? not looking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. And uh, combined, credit and debit card transactions grew at a rate of just under 9% a year. Okay. Between 2015 and 2018. Um, And that was the previous three years, from 2012 to 2015, Mm -hmm. they were growing at about 6.8%. So that shows you... That's growing faster. It's growing faster. It just Mm. keeps getting faster and faster. Mm. The value of credit card payments... So this was the interesting thing, I thought. Debit cards, both traditional and prepaid. Right. Okay. Were used almost twice as often as credit cards were in 2018. Okay. But the value of credit card um, payments exceeded the value of debit cards by almost 30%. Now, that's not totally surprising in uh, uh. that you would use your credit card for higher well, dollar sure, purchases. Well, sure, but it, it actually does surprise me, though. But it's a lot higher than I expected. Yeah, the volume. That, so, so basically, to bring that down to the level of merchant sales rep would understand, <clears throat> the, they're saying that the number of the per item, the number of transactions Gens. of debit was twice as high as credit. Right. But the processing volume... Actually, there was more volume from credit cards than there was debit cards, even though there was a lot less transactions. Value-wise. Value-wise. Yeah, value-wise, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Which is, and, 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 and quite a bit. I mean, to me, 30%. That's huge. That's huge. It really does surprise me, actually. Yeah. Because, I mean, most statements I've looked at, I've seen, um, you know, and, and I think that that's very interesting because I think there's definitely some, there must be some market segments in there that throw those numbers off a little bit compared to what we would see in the yeah. field. Yeah, Because, I, I mean, so. when you go out in the field, most people are still like... 60% of their volume is debit. And know? remember, too, that a lot of, you know, the Fed's numbers are B2B as right, well as everything. C2B. Sure. So, so there's a lot of larger value transactions right. there. Right. Okay. Very and again, I think those are going to be, you know, B2Bs, but of still. Course. Sure, of course. You know? Okay. Um, taken alone, prepaid cards accounted for 10.5% of all card payments by number. Mm-hmm. They totaled about 13, almost $14 billion. Okay. Um, and the uh, the value, the total value of, of of these of prepaid was 350 billion. So that tells you that a lot of the prepaid transactions right. are small dollar. So 13.8 billion prepaid transactions for a total of 350 billion, billion. in total right. revenue. Right. So volume. it's like you know three dollar, you know, yeah, yeah, a little yeah. over yeah thirty, I guess it is, right? Thirty, 30 bucks. Yeah. Yeah, thirty mm-hmm. bucks. Interesting. And that, and I don't know about you, but you know, and we've discussed this in the past. I use prepaid cards at gas stations. And online. Mm, okay. And, you know, my own experience is, yeah, yeah that's, that's... That's about right. That's about right. Yeah. Because okay. I don't do really large purchases. With it, right. You right? want to get your rewards point or whatever. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm buying a t-shirt from somebody. I don't want to give them right. my credit card Got number, or, you know. Okay. Okay. So by total, credit um, and debit card payments made up the largest piece of the non-cash pie. 75%. Wow. Okay. Which is huge. Yeah. But they only represented 7.3% of the total value. Really? Which tells you that a lot of the value is going through the ACH and check payments. That is really something. Isn't that interesting? Huh, that's amazing. Yeah, I was very surprised by that. But here's something else that I was, you know, found really interesting is that card not present transactions totaled 3.29 trillion. Okay. Okay. 
which the Fed said was nearly equal to the value of card present transactions. Wow. Hmm. That's, you know, again, it's value-wise, not transaction-wise. Right, sure. You know, that's what our guys are most concerned about anyway. Of course. And and the Fed said that, you know, this did not, you know, the card not present was clearly being driven by uh, the growth in e-commerce. Well, and and the interesting thing about that is that number, that's a 2018 number. Yeah. 2019 the uh during the holiday shopping season yes i believe it was about a 30 percent 30 percent year yes. over year growth yes in online shopping so i mean i would imagine that that number has exponentially increased even since this right and also the other thing that this the fed's number t- takes in into consideration that you know we have to consider is the recur those recurring bill payments more and sure. more people are putting recurring recurring bill payments on their sure, cards. Sure, sure. So I think that's also driving the card not present huh. as okay. well. Okay. You know, but like you said, the thirty percent. I was floored when I saw that thirty percent number yeah. for e-commerce. That's crazy, especially mm. because we had a shorter Christmas season, right. And everything, right. But um, okay, so Americans um also use debit cards for ATM cash withdrawals, of course, which I thought was interesting. Um, five point one billion. Mm. Um, which was a very 5.1 billion transactions. Transactions worth, uh, well, actually, um, it was a very small decline, about 100 million. So it was like okay. five, you know, it was like 5.2 less in 2015, 5.1. 5. Right, right, right. But here what I thought was interesting is that the average ATM withdrawal was up about $10 in mm. over those three years, from $146 to $156. So basically, people are going slightly less often because they figured out that it would be better to take out more less often because they don't have to pay exactly, fee twice. Exactly, right? Yeah. yeah. So I mean, which, we're, we're all getting smarter. We're all getting smarter, exactly. <laughs> okay. Okay, and I just wanted to mention some other interesting data. ACH transactions grew by 6%. Okay. Not that much. I mean, right. you know, it, over a three-year period. Over a three-year period, is not, not that much. Mm-hmm. Um, the value of the transactions rose about seven point two percent. Not that great. Check usage continued to fall at a rate of seven point two percent a year mm. between those three years, as did the value of checks. Well, they fell about four percent. Um, and part of that, I think, is more of the consumer check writing is going away. Yeah, but then you would think that the average amount of a check would be higher. Would be higher, except that there are more banks, I mean, excuse me, more corporations obviously using sure, ACH things sure. like that, huh. you know. Interesting. Okay. And cards. Yeah. Basically, it's just going, all of that is going away, the paper check system. The paper check yeah. system is. Huh. But then this is the thing I thought was really interesting, the data point on the ACH that really jumped out at me. ACH debit transactions exceeded the total number of checks for the first time ever in 2018. Mm, wow. And, you know, debit transactions are more closely allied with checks. Okay? And ACH right. credit right. is a push, whereas an ACH debit right. is a pull. Right. So an ACH credit could even be something like a payroll payment. Exactly. Something like that. Exactly. Right. Um, you know, and so we had uh, the Fed counted uh, uh, 16.6 billion ACH debits in 2018 compared to 14.5 billion checks, which really shocked me because people who know me know that I am a bit of a check maven. You know, Mm -hmm. I write about checks too. And um, that's the lowest. I mean, that's 
dramatically lower. lower. That's yeah. it was last time the Fed did this in twenty fifteen. Fifteen, I believe it was nineteen billion checks. Maybe nineteen point five. Nineteen to fourteen. To fourteen. That's a huge that's a huge drop. That's a huge drop. Um let's see, what else did I want to say? Oh, I just also thought uh interesting. Okay, so we had sixteen and a half billion ACH debits. Um you know, in 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 um, twenty eighteen, mm-hmm. right? Uh, just to put that in perspective, we only had back in two thousand, which was just eighteen years earlier, right? Right. There were only two point one billion ACH debits. Oh wow! So that's been a huge thing. That's been a huge yeah. thing. Hmm. So the thing that makes the the ACH de- uh, debit data point particularly interesting to me is that when the ACH was created fifty years ago, it was intended as a check replacement. Yeah. And it took 50 years. It took 50 years. And it still hasn't totally replaced no, it. No, You know, debit cards probably have done just as much to replace yeah, it. Yeah, absolutely. As, huh. you know. and it, That's so interesting. I tell a lot of people the story, and I know you probably know this, but, you know, back when I was young and we traveled, mm-hmm. you took a checkbook with you. And you went to the hotel mm-hmm. front desk and you wrote, wrote a check, check. Yeah. and got cash. Yeah. You know, there's none of that kind no. of stuff going on anymore. You know, you know what's so interesting to me? One of the things I was thinking about when you're talking about the ACH stuff is... Um, one, one technology solution that I don't know, I haven't seen anybody that has it yet. Mm-hmm. Um, I really feel like somebody is going to make a, um, an e-commerce cash discount model mm-hmm. where the, the cash is ACH. I agree with you. And in fact, I, I've actually, it's so much less expensive, you know, it's so much less expensive. And I, and I, and I've actually talked with people who have, you know, looked into that. Mm-hmm. I just, I think it's just a matter of time. time. Somebody's going to do it. But it, it, because the other thing about it is I think it makes sense too, because it's very similar actually to cash, meaning in an e-commerce environment, doing an ACH is, is slightly more difficult and, and inconvenient. Right. 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 Um, but also in some ways more secure or, so I, I think there's, I think there's good and bad. And so to me, it's very similar to like a physical location where it's like cash is a little more inconvenient. You got to go get it out. Right. And then right. you pay with it and you got to keep the change. You know, it's right. a little more inconvenient. Right. But some people would do it to pay less. Mm-hmm. And I think with ACH, it'd be kind of the same thing where for the business owner, they might, you know what I mean? Especially oh, yeah. for, and I think and even like recurring payments. Oh, especially for Because recurring. then you don't have to worry about the card, uh, which I know they've done some changes with MasterCard and all that. With, right. You know, you don't have We've to worry about. We've talked about that. Yeah. And yeah, we have talked about that. But it's, it's also, here's the other thing I think would contribute to that scenario. You know, we're getting more and more of these, quote, decoupled debit cards. Yes. Like Target's card. Yeah, we talked about those. Right? Yeah. So if you have that already, right. you really have the mechanism in place. Right, exactly. So if you're Target and you're taking ACH card transactions at the point of sale, right. it's not that much of a leap. Right to to do it yeah. on online yeah and I think it might even get to the point where um, you know even the the terminology cash discount might be a little bit over the top it might actually mm-hmm. be more of just you're you're all these programs are doing the same thing we're incentivizing people to pay with another form of payment I don't know right. what the name for that is but you know I think it's the idea of like it doesn't have to be cash it can just be like you know whatever it's a non card payment yeah non card non card discount non card discount non credit card discount I don't know whatever yeah but, it's but I mean I think there is some there's some you know yeah. some maneuvering that needs to be done yeah, there I but think I think so. somebody who comes out with that idea. Yeah, In fact, a, if there's anybody idea. out there who knows of anybody who's doing that, yeah, let, let us, us know. know. Absolutely. We'd love to talk to them. Cool. Well, Great. Patty, thanks so much. Good Thank stuff. Thank you. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system 
to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. All right, so uh, Patty, I'm starting a new mini-series. Okie doke. We're going to talk about building a merchant sales team. Excellent. And uh, this goes along with the uh, ebook that I recently completed. It's a free one. Excellent. So uh, I'll give the URL right off the bat. If you haven't already downloaded it, make sure you go over to ccsalespro.com slash team, ccsalespro.com slash team, and you can download this free, uh, very extensive ebook that covers all kinds of stuff. It's about a great ebook. I just got done reading it myself. Thank uh, you. It was like... Go get them. <laughs> All right, good, good. So here's what I want to do. So this ebook, we basically, um, I, I take my experience being, uh, you know, merchant sales professional. It's uh, my background as a sales trainer, and then coming into this industry and consultant trainer, mm -hmm. all these things I've done. And I try to give a sliver of that in this book and try to give some good information. And so the outline splits it up into three segments. So there are three keys to building a merchant sales team that's successful. Right. You have to recruit the right people. Right. You have to train them, and then you have to activate them. Right. And so we've I, discussed that in the past. Of course. Of, yeah. Yeah. So we've kind of done the high-level stuff in right. the past. But now we're going to drill down. Exactly. Okay. So um, we're going to start with recruit this week, and I'm going to actually have to do two weeks on recruit. Um, yeah. So it's a pretty big topic. Well, it's very extensive. Uh, it um, is. Because you have so many opportunities in terms of yes. w where you recruit from and, exactly. and you have to take different approaches, right? Exactly. Yeah. So my goal in this particular one, and again, obviously download the ebook to get the full thing, but what I want to do is I just want to go through the four types of merchant sales people or, or salespeople in general that you can recruit. Okay. And give just a little brief tip on each one, and, and that's really all we'll have time for on this okay. Uh, segment, okay? So the first one is People, sales professionals, I shouldn't even say salespeople, people who have no sales experience and no business experience. Mm. Okay? So the short answer here is don't recruit them. I was just going to say, right? <laughs> <laughs> and the problem is that they get recruited. Yeah, all the time. Yes. So let me just be really clear, okay? If you are going to try and bring somebody on board who does not know how to sell people and has no business background or sales background, in order to make that person successful, it will require structure and daily in-person, that's important, in-person coaching and training, mm -hmm. okay, for like months. Right. So I don't really know any ISOs personally who, who are have looking that kind to of do time. that. Right. <laughs> what this person needs to do is, and I talk to them all the time, they're like, hey, I found this industry, I'm currently working at Applebee's. And I found this industry and it looks amazing. I'd love to jump in. And I say, great, go find a local call center or other sales type mm -hmm. environment in your area. Work there for two years and then reach back out to me. Learn how to sell, then come back. Yes. Yeah. You got to know how to sell. That's number one. Number two, business experience, no direct sales experience. Okay. okay. This can be um, accountants. Mm -hmm. This could be um, contractors. There's a guy, there's a friend of mine, I'll have him on the podcast eventually here. Uh, he got started in the industry uh, maybe four or five months ago, went through our six-week jumpstart program. Uh -huh. He's a construction contractor. Okay. okay. He's doing amazing. Okay. Um, now, these individuals, first off, 
they can often make great referral partners if they stay in their existing role. Sure. Right. Your accountants sure. and things. These are people who are well connected mm -hmm. and they know how to sell in a very different kind of way than mm -hmm. traditional sales. They're relationship builders, things like that. Right. So the trick with these individuals is that you want to steer clear of the part-timers. Mm -hmm. So again, I'm not talking about building a referral network right now. I'm talking about building a sales team. Sure. Okay. The problem is these people come across like they're so awesome. They're so successful. They could do anything, mm -hmm. which maybe is true. But if they don't put time and focus into it, it doesn't matter how talented they are. They're not going to, they're not right. going to Confidence succeed. doesn't, doesn't, doesn't ride you the whole Right. It doesn't way. negate the need for work. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what I my my you know rule of thumb is that you need 30 hours a week. Mm -hmm. So if you get somebody that says, hey, I'm an accountant. I saw merchant services. It seems like a great opportunity. I already have a lot of connections. I want to get into this. My question is, OK, are you willing to invest 30 hours a week into building your merchant services portfolio? Mm -hmm. If they say, no, I just want to kind of talk to people as I'm doing my accounting stuff. I say, great. We'd love to have you as a referral partner. Right. But that's a totally different program. Mm -hmm. And it's important to, to stipulate these are different programs, right? Right. right? So as a salesperson, you want to make sure you have your their full-time effort. And then, of course, you have to have timelines. And I'm not going to get into all that. Check out the ebook for that stuff. Okay, moving on. Third type. So these are individuals who have sales experience, but they don't have any merchant services sales experience. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So these are going to be your insurance agents, mortgage brokers, realtors, car sales professionals, investment advisors, etc. Right. right? right. Um, and so these are individuals who know how to sell, but mm -hmm. they don't know how to sell merchant services. Right. Now, this is really, you know, in my opinion, where the big opportunity is. That's what I was just going to say. Yeah, you sure. Know? This is where you really want to be because these are individuals who don't have super high expectations for compensation and, mm -hmm. and solutions, which we'll talk about in a second with the last group. But there are people who already know how to sell. Okay. Now, the most important thing with these individuals is to establish a timeline. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, I know so many recruiters in our industry, they get so excited when one of these types of people complete their agent agreement. You know, all you did is created an expense. Right. Somebody in your company is now going to have to process that stupid paperwork. Right. You didn't, nothing happened. They fill out your paperwork. That means that's meaningless. That's nothing. Okay. The key is to establish a timeline. And so you want to make your entire recruiting and activation, uh, your recruiting training and activation process predicated on this timeline with these individuals. And so you ask them things like, okay, when are you planning to start prospecting? Mm -hmm. They might say tomorrow. Great. They might say in two months. Mm -hmm. Okay, great. So what we're going to do is, you know, and I might ask them a little more questions like why two months? What's going on? Right. Okay, cool. You're going to start in two months. So that means that in six weeks, I'm going to reach out to you and we're going to get the paperwork done. Okay. I am not going to invest my time right now in paperwork. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, sure. I'm not going to start them on training. I'm not going to do any of that. Let's wait until they're ready to go. Right. right. So we're going to ask them that. Now, a lot of times they're going to obfuscate and they're going to say, well, um, yeah, we, well, I'm going to get started pretty soon. Okay. Yeah. Right. When, what does that mean? I'm going to get started next week. Which day? I need a date. And even further than that, I actually want a time. Mm -hmm. I want to know when are you starting? Now, what you do is between now and when they're going to start, you want to stay in contact with them via text message and email right. by sending them motivational content. 
Mm -hmm. Send mm -hmm. them stories about your successful sales partners. Sure. Every week they get a different story for three weeks and they're starting that fourth week. By that fourth week, they're excited. They've been reading about the success and, and mm -hmm. things like that. But don't invest your time until they're ready to go. You really want to get people at a point where it's like, okay, I'm ready to go. All right. So um, a lot more I could say about that, but we'll, we'll leave that for the ebook. Uh, fourth one and final experienced bank card sales professionals. These are the golden ones. These are the golden ones. And, and it's interesting because the only thing more competitive in our industry than getting a, a good merchant is getting an experienced rep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And here's the problem though. This group, you know, a lot of people are like, oh, you know, I talk, I do consulting all the time with this. How mm -hmm. do we recruit a team? And I'm like, well, first, what do you mean? What kind of a team? Right. Well, we want all these experienced bank card reps. And I'm like, okay, cool. So that means that you're going to be paying really high residual splits, mm -hmm. high compensation. That means you carry a full suite of gateways and technology products. Right. That means your level of support is like through the roof. Right. You know? If you don't have those three things, that if you don't hit that trifecta, you're going to lose. Mm -hmm. So be very, very careful about this. And the other thing is experienced bank card reps are, are terrible unless they're at scale. What I mean by that is right. you don't want to build a team of three experienced bank card reps. That is a bad idea. Okay, because you're going to be paying them, you know, at whatever percentage, you're right. not going to have very much left over. You'd actually be better off just going and selling yourself. Right. Because every sale you make, you're going to keep all the residuals from it. You'd actually make more money than you would having a team of three right. experienced reps. Whereas if they're sales experience, but not industry experience, well, now you're paying them a much lower split because of all the value you're providing to them in training sure. and mentoring and coaching. Right. Um, and so you're making a lot more money. So bank card experienced bank card reps can be very, very profitable as a team, but it, it, that is predicated on you have great support. Like, like um, their ex expectations are really high. Right. Great support. Um, excellent compensation. Keep in mind, there are many large ISOs today that are publishing their compensation. I just read the green sheet the other day mm -hmm. and full, several full page ads mm -hmm. that say the residual percentage and the upfront bonus. Yeah. I mean, it's right there. Yeah. So if you can't compete with that, your experienced agents, they're not going to come to you or if they do, they're not going to sell for you. Right. 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 Last thing I will tell you about this, and we'll get into more of this with the training uh, part next week or in two weeks, but um, you really do also need to be careful here because you need to make sure that the training side of this, you know, people are like, well, they're an experienced bank card. They don't need any training. Oh, yes, they do. They do because they don't understand your paperwork. Right. They don't understand your portal. They don't understand your residual, um, you know, uh, uh, portal that you have. They don't understand, you know, which point of sale systems you offer mm -hmm. and which merchants should get to which one. So it's more about training about your specific solutions. Right. And then you got to get from them instead of a timeline of a start date, I get the name of a merchant. What I mean by that is, if I'm recruiting experienced bank card rep, my question is, okay, cool. So what is the next merchant where you're going to be trying to sell them our services? Uh -huh, uh -huh. Well, I don't have anybody yet. Okay, cool. I'll text you tomorrow. You prospecting tomorrow? Okay, cool. I'll text you tomorrow. Let me know once you have somebody that's interested because I know that you're going to have a lot of questions with mm -hmm. your first couple of deals. I'm going to walk you through that. So then once they say, yeah, you know what? I got XYZ auto repair shop. Um, I, I want to sell them your solution. Now I'm going to have a phone call with them. I'm going to find out. Right. Like right. what, it, what does this mean? Do you want to pitch them a point of sale? What do you want to sell them? So they don't need as much help of figuring out like, you know, how to sell or even how to sell merchant services. They more need help with your solution and making sure it, it matches and up. how to map that to, to yeah. their clients. So next week we'll dive into some more things about recruiting and talking about your value proposition, introducing your brand, investigating the people that you're recruiting. So we'll cover all that stuff next week.
Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.